That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jake, you know, it takes two to make a thing go right, and for us that means two takes of this episode. We had some technical difficulties, but we're back talking about the seventh Sunday of Easter, which is also going to be Memorial Day weekend for people, which these days now means nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead, go out on a limb here and say even at the end of May, uh, the world will not be normal, and uh, uh, we'll see, we don't know exactly how not normal, but it will not be normal. So people will likely still be listening to this as you preach this. Um, they'll be virtual. We'll not be meeting in churches for the most of, most part. But we still got to preach this message. But before we get to it, how are you doing psychodynamically? I'm doing... Check uh, in with me, brother. I'm doing well. You know, I'm a little disappointed that I won't be able to use my... Uh, uh, body chest clippers to get ready for Memorial Day and a big party on the river or wherever. But um, um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we were talking uh, earlier about we'd, we'd shared some funny stories and just about how important it is during this time, though, to uh, kind of laugh and uh, take a big laugh at yourself. And um, and so that's uh, what we've been doing. And um, it's uh, good, always good to laugh and podcast with you, Aaron. Yeah, we'd, we we if we had recorded those stories, it would change our rating on iTunes. Uh, but but I gotta say, I have that post hearty laugh yeah. feeling. Like I still just feel kind of like good. That's the and, glow, uh, and I'm grateful for it. I need I needed it. Yeah, the the post laughing glow. Like we, you and I. We're laughing so hard that we were in the part where we're not making any noise. Yeah. We're just sort of just <laughs> kind of body shakes. So yes, exactly. Um, it was good. Sorry, listeners. I know we're kind of you know teasing a little bit. But uh, I hope you have some good laughs in your life, folks, wherever you are, that, that, uh, yeah. that you can uh, now, dis- discharge some stress. Yeah. Now, this episode is dropping uh, May 18th or 19th, and, uh, and it's for the 24th of May, which is the seventh Sunday of Easter. But there is an important holiday that falls on the 21st of May, um, an important Christian holiday called Ascension Day. And... Uh, Ascension Day um, is 40 days after the resurrection of Easter, and uh, it was one of the principal feast days in the church year, and uh, I think, you know, um, it's uh, good for people to know about it because it is a holiday that has been lost. Nobody's going to Ascension Day sales, you know, nobody's ever said, hey, Reverend, I'm going to miss church because uh, going to my mother-in-law's house for Ascension Day dinner. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, what? just real quick, what do you think about Ascension Day? And... Uh, and why is it important? So it's something that we say in the creeds uh, that Jesus died, he descended to hell and, and rose on the third day. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And so it was important enough that they thought we should put it in the creed. And uh, there are a couple things that are, that are important about it. One thing is it means that Jesus is no longer bound to distant Palestine, mm-hmm. as the hymn goes, that he is now... Uh, restored uh, to full unity with 
the Father and the Holy Spirit in the Trinity and that he is no longer, we don't have to now make a plane reservation and find an Airbnb in Jerusalem or somewhere to go talk to Jesus. And so that's the important, that's one of the important things about the Ascension. But I know, because I know you, that you have a sermon about Ascension Day with three points because you're a good preacher. What would you say about Ascension were you to preach upon it? So I think Ascension Day is incredibly important because first, uh, it reminds us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the uh, Old Testament, all of the law and the prophets. If you remember, Moses could get them to the 40-day journey, through the 40-year journey in the wilderness, but he couldn't get them into the promised land. Uh, it took jo- Couldn't seal the deal. Yep, it took Joshua to get them into the promised land, into the land of Canaan. And now our new Yeshua, through his death and resurrection, um, leads his people into the new uh, promised Canaan, uh, um, which is everlasting life. The second thing that Ascension Day reminds us of is that uh, flesh is actually important. Wrap your mind around that, um, that uh, actual flesh and blood is reigning at the right hand um, of the Father. Uh, There Jesus is enthroned in glory as a man, Um, not an orb, not a phantom, but as a man. And um, that is a a very powerful idea because in a lot of American Christianity, um, we have adopted the Gnostic idea of orbs and uh, escapism and all of this and that we're going to, and even our culture has done so. Just watch the movie Ghost or any movie about the afterlife. It's all about orbs. And so, but this reminds us that flesh and blood is actually important and that it has been redeemed. Uh, The third thing uh, that this reminds us of is about the afterlife, profoundly, um, that um, uh, when you die, you will be resurrected, flesh and blood as well, and uh, where Jesus is, you will be also, and uh, and there he, our Lord, will call you a friend and brother and sister, and uh, that is very powerful, and so that is why Ascension Day is important, and uh, give a friend a call uh, on Ascension Day and say, did you know a real man? Man reigns in heaven at this moment. Yeah, and that's so great because a lot of people, I think, because uh, people die and we bury them, and we think that they're, I mean, yes, Paul says that we are united with Christ. You know, he says, I, I, I long to depart and be with Christ, and that's a mystery. We don't understand it totally, but we have, because of that, I think this idea that eternal life with God, the, the, the afterlife, some call it, is that sort of deal where um, we're sort of these slightly transparent spirits mm. that we exist as disembodied souls or something. And and yeah, what the Ascension says is that Jesus takes his body up into heaven and that there's a real physicality to heaven. So the things that are on earth now that you like, those earthly things, uh, there's a, an old song by Widespread Panic, that Southern jam band that would say, I like the smell of cut grass. Um, you know, all these things about life, um, the feeling of warm sun on your skin, the um, sound that uh, your cat makes as it purrs, the... Um, I, you know, one, I, I love the sound of ice cracking in a glass, mm. uh, just when you pour water on it. There's it's all these earthly things that we love. A hug from somebody. Obviously, we, we are not getting as many of those as we used to. Those things about our physicality on earth that are just sources of pleasure and joy, that's in heaven. And that's, what, that's one of the things that the ascension means. So it's a great thing. So yeah, as you said, 
Send somebody an Ascension card, get them an Ascension present. Trampolines, are, I think, are an mm -hmm. acceptable Ascension Day gift because it allows you to reenact yeah. the moment when Jesus ascended. But that's, that's yeah, it's all good stuff. So, um, well, um, that brings us to the seventh Sunday after Easter. And uh, our readings today, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Um, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, and chapter 5, 6 through 11, and John 17, 1 through 11. And our reading from Acts actually um, is an ascension reading. The, the, the church has kind of grown to understand that people aren't coming on Thursday. So they threw that in on, a, on the seventh Sunday of Easter just to really remind you and uh, to cause you to reflect that he ascended into heaven. And so this is what's going on in our Acts chapter one reading. And uh, Aaron, is there something that stuck out to you which I think is incredible? Yeah, so I, uh, I mean, we've already given you the Ascension Sermon if you want to preach that, and you can definitely preach that on this Acts passage because it does have Jesus rising up into heaven, ascending uh, in verse 9. Mm -hmm. However, in <laughs> verse 6, there's this unbelievable thing, which again, attests to the sort of um, idiocy of the disciples, the humanity, I should say, to be kinder and gentler, uh, which warms my heart because... I am no, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect, Jake. I'm only human. And you see this in the disciples in Acts 1 verse 6. And also, um, it to me is another indication of the veracity, the truthfulness of Scripture. Because if they were making this stuff up, as people like to claim, they would probably not make themselves look like the Three Stooges, mm -hmm. the, the, the morons that they do. Which So, what's the deal here? And what's, what is so moronic about what they ask in verse 6? So, Jesus has died. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has done the greatest miracle the world has ever seen. And they get together and they ask him, Lord, is this the time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Mm -hmm. Now, Jesus... Now are you going to do the thing that we always wanted you to do, which is to kick out the Romans, get rid of Caesar, uh, build a nice palace right here in Jerusalem, start reigning. Maybe you could lower taxes, increase defense yeah. spending. There's just a lot of really good things you could do. Expand the social safety net. Just there's, And obviously, Jesus, we would maybe be able to reap some of the worldly rewards from, from your political splendor. They want him to now go back and do the thing which actually doesn't really matter anymore. Jesus has defeated sin, death, and, uh, and the devil and has made all things new. And But their vision is still so small. It's like it's like if you won the lottery um, and then you said, God, thank you so much for that. But but could I, um, could could you please uh, just give me, I, don't, I can't even think of it, but like some small minor thing. Um, it's like you're totally missing the point. And so to me, it shows how even when we've been given these incredible gifts, what we have in Christ, uh, the forgiveness of sins, the promise of new life, so often we're like sweating the small stuff like, Gosh, I wish I could have gotten a better parking spot. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I can't believe, oh, they gave me Dr. Pepper instead of Coke. Or, you know, all these, you know, we get, we're worried about traffic all the time. We so we get so focused on the little things in front of us, although there's no traffic in New York anymore. I know we still got some in Waco because mm -hmm. we're open. But, um, yeah, that's, that's what I think is amazing about this passage. And there's a lot of other good stuff here, too. Um, you know, the, the angels have to talk to the disciples and be like, dude, he's gone. Yeah. Um, uh, and all of that great, great picture of people devoting themselves to prayer and yeah. the inclusion of women in that ministry, which is great. And so all that's in there. But I think the question, now are you going to do the thing? You know, now, now are we going to get new cars? Like, 
Yeah, they missed the point, that's right. which is great. No, I think uh, I think that's uh, that's exactly right, and that we always miss the point, and um, and this is why I think you know, kind of when we're talking about preaching and stuff like that, and uh, and our ministry, our pastoral ministry, why the response of the uh, disciples after this is that they go back and they devote themselves to prayer together with women, you know, and there they are, they're praying in this one place, and that's because so often, you know. What I think oftentimes happens, and I see it in myself, and I see it in a lot of our colleagues, um, but that we will take, you know, we want to fit God into our understanding. You know what I mean? And so um, we want to place ourselves over and above the authority of Jesus, you know, and, and conform Jesus into our own image. And uh, this is the point of why they devote themselves to prayer, and they gather, and they wait, because um, uh, Jesus is conforming them to his image, and uh, this is kind of one of the meanings of, of Ascension Day in this kind of in-between phase is that uh, uh, Jesus is going to conform us to his image and he's going to come the same way that he left. How that works, I'm not quite sure, but um, we pray and we trust it and, uh, and, that, and we receive it. And uh, that is a very powerful thing. Amen. Uh, well, should we move on to the next, well, the, this letter of First Peter? Yeah, and I think that that's, uh, you know, that when, when Christ becomes to conform you and he becomes to carry you through the intense sufferings of life and the difficulties of life, whether that suffering comes uh, from something kind of a natural disaster like we're facing right now or from what St. Peter is speaking to, um, actual persecution, which a lot of our brothers and sisters face around the world. And uh, this is really beginning mm. to, to set the tone of uh, First Peter. He's, he's giving these folks um, kind of the idea of who's at work in your life in the midst of persecution. It's not about gritting your teeth. It's about one who's at work in your life. Hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's so much in this First Peter passage. Yes, as you said, it's definitely rooted in a very specific context of political state-sponsored persecution of Christians from the Roman Empire. Uh, but there's but there's a lot here that obviously applies universally to any Christian who's suffering. And so it doesn't have to be one or the other just because you're not getting arrested for your faith. And right. some people still are. But um, the thing that is powerful here, a couple things. One, your suffering connects you to Christ's suffering. Right. Many people feel connected to Christ mm when they are feeling the power of a praise chorus they, or they're, they're standing on a mountaintop watching a sunset, or, um, and those are beautiful moments in which God surely is present. And, um, maybe, however, maybe, <laughs> maybe, however, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I mean, is that true though? Like the sun 93 million miles away is, is, um, the earth is rotating and uh, because the way light hits our atmosphere, it makes pretty colors and all that sort of stuff. Like, yes, God is in that, but probably not in the way that you think. Like, so much hydrogen is fusing right now on the sun. Um, anyways, uh, the uh, got a little science. I didn't mean. There. I didn't mean to throw you off your thought. So anyway, but uh, yeah, but no, the but the. The the fact is, it says if when you are suffering, you are sharing Christ's sufferings. Mm -hmm. Just like Christ's righteousness is given to us, and that's where it's a gift. And as some in in, a, in the the passage makes clear that our suffering somehow connect us to Christ's suffering. So we're united to Him in the good stuff as well as the hard stuff. And in all things, 
we are uh, united to him. So he even says, shout for, you'll be able to shout for joy when his glory is revealed because of the stuff you're going through now. It's this very upside down gospel world. Like when you're suffering, you're actually closer to God, right. which I think most Christians have lost. They feel like when they're suffering, they're farther that's from right. God, but that's actually the opposite. Yeah, and, and that understanding comes from, as St. Peter says in the second paragraph, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand. Not now are you going to do the thing that I wanted you to do, but like, man, mm -hmm. this may not this may not be like jiving with what I thought or how I thought God would act in my life. Um, and mm -hmm. Peter's like, well, you know, that's that's the reason why we humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, because He's going to exalt you. He's going to exalt you in the resurrection of the dead. And uh, and because yep. he's given you that promise that he will raise you from the dead. And so that becomes the enabling word for you to cast your cares. But uh, that uh, the first I think that is a real important point to hit on is that suffering. Suffering is not um, not our natural state. Nobody's like, man, I just can't wait to suffer. You know what I mean? Mm. But when when it does this, the gospel becomes the thing you can cling to. And so, you know, mm -hmm. um, and uh, that is because part, in part, especially suffering that comes from persecution, this, this is the work of the devil. You are in a spiritual mm. battle. And uh, Peter reminds us of that. A lot of people want to downplay spiritual attacks and spiritual battles. But no, this is very real that we're involved in. And so he says, and I want to make this point before I volley it back over to you, though. It says, resist him. But how do you resist him? Well, it says steadfast. Our translation says in your faith. That's a mistranslation. Um, it is steadfast in the faith. And uh, what, what Peter is referring to is, is that the faith that he taught them, the faith that Paul has taught us, the faith of the apostles, the faith that we say in uh, the uh, creed, that is what we're talking about. That is how we resist because that points us not to ourselves and what we're doing, but to Christ. It humbles us and places us under his authority. Yeah, I think it's so good to remember the reality of a spiritual battle. Remember that Christ is the one that it's his faith that is given to you, that sustains you and protects you. Uh, and that we have this great uh, good shepherd, as we've talked about in previous weeks, uh, who can watch, can protect us from the, the thief, the bandit, the wolves. Um, and the last thing I want to say about this is verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Mm. This is... One a verse that it's very well known, very common. It's on bumper stickers, it's on the posters, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and it's very touching and wonderful, and so much so that we can kind of not really hear it anymore. But in the first century, in the ancient world, and in many places today, in different traditions, the idea that God or that divine forces would be interested in you, that they would care for yeah. you is by no means the default view in human history. So in yeah. the first century, that's, oh, that's they were terrified of the gods. Yeah. Thank you very much. They were terrified of the gods. They thought, uh, you know, if you look at Greco-Roman gods, if, if you messed up a sacrifice, they would, you know, kill your wife and family. Or, you know, it was just everything was... The gods had a hair trigger, and they were very moody, and... Uh, they were only interested in important people. They didn't care about poor people. And just the idea that God would care for you no. and that you could give him your anxieties, no. 
This compassionate, tender God is the one that's revealed in Jesus Christ, and it would have been such a balm to the people in those days, and is today. Uh, But don't take it for granted. Uh, Remember that this is a unique revelation of Jesus Christ, and is not the default setting in most of the world. A lot of people are terrified about facing judgment when they die. Christ comes and says, I've already tasted judgment for you, and you can rest. And that's why you can cast your anxiety on me, because I've already dealt with everything. Actually, the entire concept, the entire concept of a God who loves the unlovable is a Christian concept. Any re- right. any, re- any other religion in the world that, um, that has uh, baptized some sort of kind of ideas of mercy um, is complete, even Islam— has come completely from its interaction of the the founders' interaction with Christianity. Um, that yeah. that is a fact. Uh, that is a fact, and yeah. I will go toe to toe on that one. I mean, the the gods of the Hindu gods, um, they they are capricious, not interested. You know what I mean? And this is the very powerful thing too, because at the end, just building on, uh, ca- why can you cast all your anxieties on him? Uh, because he cares for you. And, uh, and what's the fruit of that care for you? Well, after you've suffered a little while, and in Peter's thinking here, this includes death, but uh, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, will himself, will himself, this is like, man, I'm putting my name on this on this particular Mm. promise. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to strengthen you and I will establish you. And the will will himself idea is the promise there that is sealed in the blood of Jesus. Uh, But any other idea of a a God like this um, has been completely been borrowed from the Christian revelation. Yeah, Tom Holland, uh, not the actor, the historian and writer who was going to be a speaker at our Mockingbird conference this year uh, in Dominion, talks about even the, like the Beatles idea, all you need is love. That idea completely would not exist in the world without Christianity. Yeah. Now, everybody from the uh, Enlightenment on was just kind of trying to strip the Jesus out of the message, but the message did not exist in the world until yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, well, and he makes that powerful point in uh, the distinction between the American and the French Revolution. Revolution, if you remember that. Amen. And so um, in the American Revolution, uh, although most of the founders were deists, I mean, we can give it that, but uh, they rooted the idea of human rights being in the uh, uh, in light of God, where by the time yeah. Benjamin Franklin and Voltaire got their hands on the French um, uh, declaration, they had rooted it in nature. And uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the difference between the two re- revolutions, uh, the bloodshed and the brutality. I of got this. three words for you. Guillotine. Yep, that's right. And, uh, and uh, I love Tom Holland makes the point that Robespierre, who uh, beheaded yeah. so many folks, was on his, he went to the guillotine as well. Um, uh, anyway, there's, don't yeah. want to give a Dominion well, I, book report, I but say, read that book, everybody. Yeah. And if you can't read it, because it's a big, thick book, uh, get the audiobook. It's really well done. That's what I'm doing. So, first, Peter, one more thing I want to say. Remember who wrote it, mm. because Peter is the one that just messed up so many times. He was always shooting off his mouth, and he denied Christ three times. So, think about that life experience, having denied Christ three times, then have Jesus restore him to ministry on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Uh 
And knowing that compassionate Christ, that forgiving Christ, and that's the man who then writes, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter knows it because he himself has experienced it. He himself has been uh, a victim of the devil's schemes. He knows. I mean, think about Peter getting asked three times, do you know Jesus? As he's being tried and ultimately crucified. Mm-hmm. And and so that's the man who writes, like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil prowls around. So Peter knows what he's talking about. Yep. He writes from his own experience. And that's, I think it just adds a level of power. And authenticity uh, uh, to the whole to thing. Passage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, all right. John 17, Jesus uh, kind of going back in time now in the chronology of the New Testament, as we always do since the gospel comes after. And anyways, at the end, and after we've read the epistles and acts and all that. So now we go back to Jesus uh, speaking these words in Gethsemane, this great long prayer at the end of uh, his earthly ministry. Uh, and yeah, what do you think about this, Jake? Well, there is so much profound imagery happening here that uh, you could bore your congregation or you could excite them in light of kind of ascension and Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And here in the Garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 17, you have Jesus as the new Adam um, in a garden as well. And this time, um, instead of following the temptation of his uh, bride, you have the bridegroom actually um, uh, praying for his bride. And, uh, and uh, all that uh, the Father had given him, he most certainly has not lost one. Where the first Adam lost the only one that he was given, um, this one holds on to. And so uh, that kind of is the theme and the, the lens uh, by which to begin to kind of understand John 17 and uh, this powerful, powerful prayer for you and me and for his church. That's right. And and you have this beautiful picture of the relationship between the Father and the Son where Jesus says, these people were yours and you gave them to me. Mm. Uh, and, and now they know everything that you have given me is from you. So, and the words that you gave me, I've given to them. So there's all this um, transferring back and forth of, of giving from the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father. And it's, I, I just always find it very humbling and comforting to know that the Father gave me to the Son and the Son gives me what he's received mm-hmm. from the Father. Uh, it's just... Um, uh, you're a treasured gift from the father to the son. It's just a beautiful picture. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I mean, just kind of the profound imputation that is happening here, um, you know? Yeah. Uh, so just briefly, the distinction between like imputation and infusion. Uh, infusion is what most people kind of teach uh, the Christian life is all about. This little letter, of man, I'm going to let it shine. You know what I mean? And the kind of the idea of the God-shaped hole and I let it in there. Uh, like, you know, and Jesus fills it in kind of bright and bright, 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 bright. But we believe in imputation. And this is where uh, God sees what is not there and he speaks it into existence. And uh, and the, the idea, because none of this has actually happened on one level. I mean, you know, he's like, I pray that they all may be one as you and I are one. Well, this clearly has not happened. Yet Jesus, Jesus profoundly here is speaking um, as we are, as we are, uh, as his beloved. And uh, I think that that's a mm. real, uh, 
That's a real beautiful thing. Jesus is speaking into existence that which is not there. And it will, the oneness will happen. Yeah, you have the status. You belong to God. He gave you to the Son. The Son gives you all that comes from the Father. Um, and, uh, and it's a beautiful thing. And yeah, as you, as you point out too, though, there is this Garth Brooks unanswered prayer at the end mm-hmm. here where uh, Jesus says, I pray that they would all be one as, as we are one and we are not. And yet, on some level, we are, as we say in Holy Communion, uh, the blessed company of all faithful people. That is the church. That is the body of yep. Christ. Uh, we're one, although we don't know it. Uh, you know, there's that joke about heaven that people tell, you can f- put whatever, if whatever denomination you want to make look bad, you just fill in the blank. It's, you know, somebody gets to heaven and Peter's giving them the tour. And it's like, over here are the Methodists, and over there are the Lutherans, and over there are the Orthodox. And then, you know, they walk past... Let's you know we let's pick on ourselves. We walk past one room, yeah, and they say, you know, oh, be really, be quiet. Uh, and, and the guy says, well, why? It was because that's the Episcopalians, and they think they're the only ones here. Yeah. So, you know, uh, that's uh, that is often how we tend to think about our own tribes yeah. and whatnot. But yeah, here as we see, we're, Jesus prays that we're one, and and on in a profound level, we we are, even though we don't see it quite. Uh, fulfilled. And I think, I mean, I think a lot of that too, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, I mean, uh, I, th- I think, you know, on one level, I agree with C.S. Lewis 100%, uh, the, in Mere Christianity, he talks about Christianity as a giant hall, and then the traditions are these different rooms, and eventually you got to find your way into a room, you know, and uh, we have found ourselves in the, the room of the Episcopal Church and in Anglicanism, and because uh, it's a beautiful room to sit in. Um, but there is another thing, though, where a lot of these, uh, where a lot of denominations, including our own and stuff like that, I mean, they are the fruit of us not humbling ourselves. They are the fruit of sometimes us fashioning God in our own image, and um, and uh, you know, and there is a there is a sad there's there's a profound sadness in the fact that we are not one, and uh, wherever mm. we can work for one, uh, for being one, I I think we should, including dropping lawsuits and all of those things. Um, but I think I think that the there is there is coming a day when we will see it, when we will see it, and we'll all be humbled and uh, we will glorify God together, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. And you do see a little bit of this breaking out now, as Christians are in a time of suffering, a fiery ordeal, as Peter writes. Uh, nothing unites us like suffering. And the displays of Christian unity I've seen in Waco, and I'm sure you've in seen New it in New, New York. In New York City, has been amazing. Uh, I mean, the and I saw a YouTube video yesterday. I watched it twice. It's about three days old as we record this on May 6th. Uh, it's called the UK Blessing, but they did this in cities all over the world. And it's about 65 different churches, different singers of all ethnicities and races singing, uh, and they stitched it together into one giant song. And it's, you know, they've got the Orthodox, the Coptic, the Catholic, the Anglican, the Baptist, the Methodist. I mean, everybody's singing this chorus, It's and it's the, the Lord bless you and keep uh. you, make his face to shine upon you, verse from Numbers. And I was just destroyed into a puddle of tears and joy because that is a picture it's a small icon a window into what jesus is talking about here and it is times like this that bring it out so rejoice brothers and sisters wherever you are that you are in christ and you are united much bigger uh than uh than your own little uh, party, uh, your own little room in the Christian hallway. And I know we have Baptist listeners and um, Anglican listeners and uh, uh, 
nay, even non-denominational listeners, all kinds yeah. of folks out there, and we are all one in Christ. Yeah, I, I just want to echo that. I think uh, I've been on part of these like Zoom calls with pastors from every denomination in uh, New York City, um, Pentecostals, um, you know, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, um, you know, you name you name the stripe, and they are they are there. What was James Brown's church called? Um, oh. Yeah, hold on. It's worth it. Uh, United House of Prayer for all people of the church on the rock of the apostolic faith. Yeah, that's right. They were on the call. and um, uh, The sign uh, was actually longer than the building, the, Their I think. bishop was on the call, that's right. And so, but uh, I mean, but it's been powerful and it's really um, amazing to see what suffering produces and where God is actually, I mean, nothing, uh, that there is, there is a profound oneness on those phone calls as we pray for each other and lift each other up, and, um, and may it continue to be so. And so, um, I think this is a good place to end, and uh, unless you got anything else for the good of the order, Aaron. Amen and amen. May it be so. Nothing else. Right. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, this was a good one. <laughs> God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.